I was going to probably speak for 15, 20 minutes and then go ahead and do the impartation series. But the father, when I did spend time with him, he gave me a little bit more to talk about because he said, I want you to do it this way. And so he was just giving me the layout. So I'm going to be talking to you tonight. What we're going to be going over is, number one, I need you to understand what impartation is. Because without understanding, it takes away the power of a thing. It's just like if you tell somebody to fast, but they don't have no understanding behind fasting. It takes away the power of fasting. It's just they're not eating. So first he told me to explain what impartation is, provide some examples to you. Then from there, I'm going to talk to you about how do you keep, whether it's the gift of sight or any gift, how do you keep your gift stirred up? Because the Bible talks about stir up your gift. How do you keep your gift stirred up? And then from there, I'm going to take you to eight ways to activate your sight. That you can always, no matter where you are, you can activate your sight. Yes. Eight ways to activate your sight. How to keep your sight. Yep, and that's what we're going to go through. We're going to go through those three things. All right, let's get started. Now, the first thing is understanding impartation. We hear that word a lot. Impartation, first of all, is two things. Impartation is both a scriptural concept and a spiritual reality, okay? Now, it's a scriptural concept because you can literally see it like a thread from the Old Testament to the New. And it's a spiritual reality because we do receive something spiritually even though we cannot see it. Now, let's go through the definition. Impartation is a, number one, a divine transfer, okay? So this is nothing to do with humans other than with the vessels, with the conduits, with the vehicles. That releases an ability that you did not have before, or it can also awaken something lying dormant in you. Through impartation, the Holy Spirit gives or grants you a spiritual gift, revelation, or power that you need to fulfill your purpose in which you receive. Now, the other key thing I want to point out here is that what I just said, it is revelation or power This part that you need to fulfill your purpose. So he's not just giving this to you so you can just show up. Amen. It's good to see everybody. Just have it. Before I get started. It's for you to fulfill your purpose. It also means to give, to convey, to give a share of, a measure, or grant from as if from a store. For the father, what, has a great storehouse of gifts. And he wants to impart what will strengthen you in your calling. So, notice that I said that you receive impartation. Okay? You receive impartation. So, impartation cannot be learned. You have to receive it. You have to receive impartation by faith. The ministry of impartation is clear in the Bible. And so what I'm getting ready to do is show you evidence that impartation is biblical. Now remember, through any lessons that I will ever teach you, I will always show you that they did it in the Bible and that it's sound doctrine. So, we're going to start first with Romans 1, 
11 through 12. Now we're going to move through these pretty quickly. Okay. Because the purpose of these scriptures I'm getting ready to show you is not to go in depth in revelation. The purpose that I'm going through these scriptures is to show you that it's a thread through the Bible. And that is biblical. And it's sound doctrine. Romans 1, 11 through 12. And this is Paul talking to the church in Rome. He says, for I am yearning to see you. That I may impart and share with you some spiritual gift to strengthen and establish you. That is, that we may be mutually strengthened and encouraged and comforted by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Amen. And so from there, I'm going to show you some methods of how it was done. So how do we receive impartation? The first thing, we receive impartation two ways, okay? We receive impartation two ways. From one way, we receive it, we can receive impartation directly from the Father. Or from anointed men and women through the laying on of hands. Now, we've seen this several different times, and actually... While I'm thinking about it, I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor Pierre, that he had a dream. Was it wisdom? What was, what was being imparted? Yes, his pastoral calling and wisdom that he received in a dream. He received impartation in a dream, which actually is similar to Solomon. When he asked for wisdom, this was in the dream when the father asked him and he received impartation in the dream of wisdom. So you can receive impartation directly from the father or from anointed men and women through the laying on of hands. Now, from the laying on of hands, we're going to look at example of that and how that look when a blessing is imparted. So we're going to go to Genesis 48, 14. Through 16. Genesis 48, 14 through 16. And it says, But Jacob crossed his arms as he reached out to lay his hand on the boy's heads. Now he's imparting a blessing to his sons. He put his right hand on the head of Ephraim, though he was the younger boy, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh. Though he was the firstborn, then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they preserve my name and the names of Abraham and Isaac, and may their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. So you guys better start laying hands on your children. Because you can lay hands on your children and impart blessings to your children. The second example I want to show you is when Jesus laid his hands on people as one of the means of imparting healing power. And that's Luke 4, 40 through 41. That's Luke 4, 40 through 41. And it says, as the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons. And the demons came out at his command, shouting, you are the son of God. But because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. Amen. 
The next example is Moses. Moses laid hands on Joshua to impart some of the authority that he carried. Numbers 27, 18 through 19. And it says, the Lord replied, take Joshua, son of Nun, who has the spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. Present him to Eleazar, the priest, before the whole community, and publicly commission him to lead the people. And then we find evidence of that actual manifestation of that impartation. And we find evidence of that in Deuteronomy 34 and 9. And it says, now Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. So when he had laid his hands on him, that's what he received. Wisdom. Full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And again, we see the Lord himself. Now, he was the Lord then because he had not yet came and died and resurrected and rose. So the Lord himself did an impartation in numbers, 11 24 through 25. Remember I said you can receive impartation from him directly. Now in this instance, the spirit of prophecy was imparted to the people. Now this is the Lord himself doing this. And Numbers 11, 24 through 25. And it says, so Moses went out and reported the Lord's word to the people. He gathered the 70 elders and stationed them around the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses. Then he gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was upon Moses. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But this never happened again, it said, until now. The next example is the prophet Samuel. The prophet Samuel imparted the anointing to be a king to Saul by way of oil, representing the Holy Spirit. First Samuel 10 and 1. And it says... Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. So we can receive. Now, there's a few other ways that you can also receive impartation as well. Now, some of those ways is number one. Hearing the word through revelation of the spirit as it gives it to you. You receive impartation that way. And that's what I said is hearing the word through revelation of the spirit as it gives it to you. Number two. Through the preaching and the teaching of the word. Which goes through the gates of our mind our ears, to our mind, and to our spirit. So we receive impartation when we hear the word preached and we hear the word taught to us. The other way is what I mentioned before. We receive impartation through dreams. And the last one is that we can receive impartation of truth and anointing Sinning under an anointed teacher. Now, one thing that kind of perplexed me is that if you pay attention, Papa and Summer always want to be in here. They don't want to be in the kids' church. You trying to take Summer to the kids' church? You better think again. She come right out of there. <laughs> she will. 
She wants to be in here. And then Papa is so calm in here. It's like he really one of us. And you have to really pay attention to that because really, to be honest with you, you got to understand it's a part of their calling to be drawn in like that to his presence. It's a part of their calling. So when we're in here teaching, when we're in here preaching, when we're in here praising, we're in here worshiping, declaring, all of that, their spirit is taking that in for their purpose that that the Father has for them. So, we have to remember that when it comes to receiving impartation through the Father himself, this often comes through his children asking, seeking, and knocking for more of him. So this is not an automatic thing. This comes through prayer, much prayer of wanting more. Wanting a more of a measure of him. Wanting to do his will. Wanting to be led by the spirit. And when you begin to do that, you feel the weight of his glory directly imparting whatever he's going to impart to you. Whether it's wisdom or knowledge or revelation or a gift. Because remember, as the Bible says, the Holy Spirit gives the gifts as he wills. Now, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 6-7, he said, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you by the laying on of hands. For God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control, and some translation says of a sound mind. Now, we tend to focus on the latter part of that, verse 7. But I'm going to focus on verse 6. Now, to stir up in the Greek is the word... Let me get this right. A nasoprero, which means to kindle, which means what? To catch on fire. It also means a new, A-N-E-W, a new, not a new, not like a new thing, N-E-W, a new, a meaning not And then new. So something that's not new, but something that was already there. It also means to rekindle. Re meaning that it's already in you, but it needs to be set on fire again. Stir up also means to resuscitate. (laughs) Meaning that it's in you, but there's no breath on it there's no life on it meaning all of this meaning in the context of fire now let's deal with the word gift because he told him I'm going to remind you to stir up the gift let's do gift now in this verse it's referring to a spiritual gift that builds up that edifies And encourages the church by empowering the individuals to share the Father's work with others. Now, Timothy's spiritual gift was all, that's what I need you to understand. Timothy's spiritual gift was already in him. That's why I said anew, rekindle, and resuscitate. It was already there, but it was lying dormant. And it came in him as part of the measure of faith when he had received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So when he received Jesus Christ, he also had received his gifts, but they were just lying dormant. Or he had already received his gift before birth. It can go either or. Now... 
the prophetic presbytery. Now, the pres, pre, the word presbytery probably has gotten some bad, I guess, backlash because we always think about the Presbyterian church like an evangelical movement. <laughs> but the word presbytery literally just means a body of church elders or ministry. And so the prophetic, that's what I mean when I say the prophetic presbytery. The prophetic presbyteries that laid hands on him identified what was latent or sitting dormant. It was existing in him, but not yet developed. It was manifested, but it was also hidden. And so it was also concealed within him. So what was Paul doing? He was mentoring Timothy in the faith. He was encouraging him to do what? To preach the gospel as well as to raise up disciples and leaders within the local churches that he was entrusted to shepherd. And Timothy also had, this is what he was telling him basically, Timothy had to use his spiritual and his organizational gifts by keeping the fire of the empowering of the Holy Spirit lit within him. So basically what he was telling him is be consumed. So once the gift is imparted and it's activated, you must keep it lit. You gotta keep it stirred up. You don't want to keep your gift lying dormant. So let's answer that question. How do you keep it stirred up? How do you keep your gift lit? In order to answer this question, we're actually going to go back to 2 Timothy 1 and 6. So go back to 2 Timothy 1 and 6 because it actually it begins to tell us how. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you by the laying on of hands. Keyword, remind. Now, remembering is part of keeping your gift lit. And that remembering is remembering what the Father has done. As we see in 2 Timothy 1 and 6, Paul reminded Timothy about what the father had done. So you also should remember that when and how he saved you. You got to remember that. You got to remember when you was at a desolate place. You got to remember where he pulled you from. You got to remember that's going to keep your, your, your gift lit. Remembering also, he was telling him that a seed was put in you. When you, when he saved you, you have to remember and be conscious of the fact that a seed was in you. And not only was the seed in you, you now have the Holy Spirit. This is something that you have to be cognitively aware of at all times. And then when he was talking about remembering, he was letting him know, look, remember, hands was laid on you. He said, remember, hands was laid on you. And prophecies were spoken over you. So then use your gift often and intentionally by being sensitive to the Spirit's leading. You got to remember all those things, how he brought you out, how you got saved. The fact that the seed he put in you and that the, he gave you literally the Holy Spirit. So the first thing is remembering, which the children of Israel failed to do. The second thing of how to keep it stirred up or lit is comes actually from 2 Timothy 1 and 8. And that is to share in the sufferings of the gospel. That's how another way to keep it lit. Share in the sufferings of the gospel. 
Second Timothy one and verse eight says, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord and don't be ashamed of me either. Even though I'm in prison for him with the strength God gives, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. The reason why Paul was in prison is because he suffered for the gospel. And a lot of times when the Holy Spirit leads you in certain places, it'll cause you to suffer for the gospel because you're being led by the Spirit. If he, if the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, he'll lead you there too. So the second way to keep it lit is sharing in the suffering the gospel. Tell somebody what he did for you. Share the gospel. I was so glad to see Miss Renee, just share. That's another way to keep your fire burning. The third way of how to keep it lit is allowing the gifts that were given to the church, the fivefold ministry, to equip you, to build you, to mature you to the full measure and complete standard of Christ. So we're going to go through Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. <laughs> and majority of time when we read this, we kind of read it like, okay, I've already read this before. <laughs> but there is so much more in this. Verse 11 and it says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostle, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, verse 14 through 16 is where I really want to focus on that we usually kind of kind of brush through real quick. We're going to read it slowly. Verse 14. Then when we when we do this. Then we will no longer be immature like children. So that's one of the benefits that you get from the fivefold ministry. You're no longer immature like children. Now this is going to help your gifts stay lit and stay keep that fire burning. The second thing it'll do, what did it say? We won't be tossed and blown away by every wind of new teaching. So it's going to stabilize us. The fivefold ministry job is not only to equip us, but it anchors our soul. The next thing it does is that it says we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. The next thing the fivefold ministry does, it says instead we will speak the truth in love. So we learn how to speak the truth, not to attack people, but we speak it in love. And it says, growing in every way more and more like Christ. So every time we come in here and a fivefold ministry pours into us, we grow from glory to glory. We become, we start looking more and more and more and more like our Father. Who is the head of his body, the church? Verse 16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow. So when Kena grows, it helps all the rest of the parts grow. When Terry grows, it helps all the rest of the parts grow. When Toshomi grows... It helps all the rest of us grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Number four, 
How do we keep our spirit lit and our gifts lit? We got to stay true to sound doctrine and sound teaching. Second Timothy 1 and 13. It says, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me. A pattern shaped by faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. So we got to become very intimately familiar with the treasures hidden within the word. And, And I know you're like, well, how is this connected to staying lit, keeping your gifts lit and on fire? Because you're going to need what? Truth to keep the fire lit because he said what? Worship me in the spirit and in truth. So it's not true worship if it's not sound teaching. It's not true worship if it's not the spirit and sound doctrine. It's half. You're halfway doing it. Number five, how to keep it lit. And pretty much this was we've been talking about this whole series. Guard and steward the gift. Guarding and stewarding your gift. Second Timothy 1 and 14. And it says, through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Paul told Timothy to guard it, to treasure it, to protect it, to steward it while walking in humility. So what? So that the Father may be glorified in the vessel. Now why? Because the vessel is what? The temple of the Spirit. So you have to guard and steward your gift, which means what? We can't watch anything that we want to watch. We can't listen to everything everybody listens to. We can't go every place that everybody else go to. Because every single time you do that, what happens? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what ends up happening is that our light starts to dim. Our revelations start going down. Our vision starts to become blurred. And now we got layers on layers of weights. <laughs> we got layers on layers of, of, of things that now, you ever went to the mall and had felt like you had to go home and pray? And you're just going to shop. You're trying to get a shirt. But just the level of d- demonic activity that's in the mall. And you're just trying to have a good time with your kids. <laughs> I mean, flesh just all the way out. <laughs> to the point you just got to go home and say, Lord, I just I need to pray in tongues for an hour. So we have to guard and steward our gifts. Now. We're getting towards the end. So this is the last thing before we start the impartation. I'm going to go through eight ways. Now, we went through the methods, how to keep it lit, understanding impartation. Now, I'm specifically going to go through eight ways. Now, there's several more, but I chose these eight ways to actually activate your site. If you want to activate it, if you want it to kick on. So these are going to be techniques that you can use in order to actually activate it. So these are what we're going to go through. We're going to go through soaking prayer and meditation. We're going to go through intercession, praise and worship, solitude and silence, fasting, spending time with the Father in the secret place, praying in the Spirit, And being in the companies of others who can see. The first one. Soaking prayer and meditation. 
Now, David said in Psalms 119 and 15, he said, I will meditate on your precepts. Now, what are precepts? What was he saying? He basically was saying, I will think on your commands and your principles in order to allow your word to rule, to control, influence, and regulate my conduct and my behavior. And he also said, and I will, and regard your word. He said, I will meditate on your precepts. And then he said, I will regard your ways. Now, what does regard mean? Regard means, he basically said, I will take into account and esteem your word above my knowledge. So when you do this, You're focusing on the Father's words to the point where you drown out your thoughts, your feelings, and your temporary distractions. You're allowing the Spirit to flow in you and out of you as he wills as you're still. And a lot of time, kind of how this looks, I actually often see Kena do this. She'll come, she'll kneel, and as people are singing and praying, she goes into soaking meditation where you just steal. And you just allow the spirit to do what the spirit is going to do. I personally call it spiritual surgery. Spiritual surgery. Soaking prayer and meditation is spiritual surgery. The second thing, intercession. Now, these are ways, remember, to activate your sight, to kick your sight on, intercession. When we make intercession, what we are doing, we're doing it with the purpose to do what? A couple things. First thing, we're interceding because the first thing we're doing, we want to meet the Father for a conversation. It's intentional. You're saying, I need to talk to you. It's intentional. You're asking for wisdom about a particular person or a particular situation. You're also consulting when you're interceding. Now, what does consulting mean? You're basically debating or negotiating in the same way Abraham did for Sodom and Gomorrah. You're debating, you're negotiating. And the last thing you do in intercession is supplication. Now what supplication is, is that you're pleading on the behalf of someone. So for instance, supplication may look like this. You're pleading, Father, please... Take my son out of this drug addicted behavior and these people that he is around. Father, please save my children. You're pleading on the behalf of someone else. Supplication. And it's kind of crazy because in the, um, when we were doing the healing room and um, I laid my hands on Summer. The father let me see one of her gifts. And it was intercession. And you know how they say, you know, the children usually have a greater portion of what the parents have. But even though she's going to have a greater portion than her mother, her mother is the reason why she has it. So the student is never greater than the teacher. So... And when I laid my hands on her, I saw her, it's just not, it wasn't regular intercession. I saw her interceding so much that it takes her into a trance. 
And when it takes her into a trance, it's like a screen. That's when I seen a screen just open up and, and she begins to have visions. That's how much, how deep her intercession will be. That it will take her so deep that the father showed me it's going to be like John. She's going to see things that many other people are not able to see because how deep her intercession will go. So that's one of the ways that you can kick your eyes on on is through intercession. Because as you're pleading and you're consulting and you're talking to him about things that he actually will begin to open your eyes to see things. He'll show you that this person will be okay. They're not going to get into a car accident. This person will get saved later on in their life. So he'll begin to show you things as you intercede. Number three, praise and worship. Praise and worship. Now, Ruth Ward Heffling, that's H-E-F-L-I-N, Ruth Ward Heffling. Now, she was part of the evangelical movement with the Pentecostal church. She said this about praise and worship. She said, praise until the worship comes. And when the worship comes, worship until the glory comes. And then when the glory comes, stand in the glory. Now, I added to what she said. And I added to that statement. Now, when you stand in the glory and you're standing in it, begin to see and prophesy in the spirit. So praise and worship is another way of opening up your eyesight. Number four, solitude and silence. Now, silence is the absence, of course, sound, but it is also a dimension in the spirit where one receives revelation from the secret place. Now, during this period of time in solitude and silence, this is what's happening. Two things that you have to do in order to go into this. Two things. One is that you have to quiet your soul. Make your soul be quiet because it talks too much. <laughs> it does. It's telling you about the past. It's telling you nobody loves you. It tells you nobody cares while you're trying to pray. Make your soul be quiet. Sometimes you got to say, shut up. Because <laughs> I've had to do that. <laughs> the second thing that you have to do in solitude and, si and, and silence is that you have to calm your spirit. If you're anxious, you're coming in anxious, you've been busy all day, you got to make your spirit calm. And this is because you want to be able to discern what is happening in the spirit realm. If you can't make yourself calm, and keep your soul quiet. You can't discern. So you need to discern what's happening in the spirit realm. And see what the father is saying is vital to navigating your ability to see in the spirit. Number five. Fasting. Fasting. Your fast should be Holy Spirit led. And I've experienced this before. If your fast is not Holy Spirit led, you will not have the grace to complete it. You're going to feel like, okay, we're just going to end this fast today. Because <laughs> I'm hungry and I'm tired. <laughs> we're going to chop it up, Father, as a job well done. <laughs> I'm just going to receive the grace from the two hours that I did. <laughs> So if your fast is not Holy Spirit led, you won't have the grace to complete it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> 
So you need it to be Holy Spirit led because the Father will be speaking to you. We've all witnessed this. The Father will be speaking to you as you're fasting in dreams and visions and calendars. He's going to be downloading to you different things, blueprints, business ideas, creative ideas, all different kind of things. He's going to be downloading to you. We're almost there. Number six, spending time with your father in the secret place. Now, this is different than what we talked about before. Because spending time with your father in the secret place is fellowship. Now, I'm going to tell you what this looks like. Now, this is fellowship with your father. And you're doing the initiating. You're initiating a dialogue. Now, this is the catch. You're initiating a dialogue even if that dialogue is without words. So sometimes you feel like you just want to sit in his presence. And you have no words to say. You just want to sit in his presence. So the Bible says that what? The Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God. That he will lead you what? Into the deep waters. And in those waters, you may fall into a trance. A dream. A vision or an encounter. So spending time with the Father in the secret place is not only about dialogue that comes out of your mouth, but a lot of times you have no words to say. You just want to sit in his presence. Number seven. (laughs) This is funny. Praying in the spirit. Now, I'll show you why this is funny. Praying in the spirit. Now, praying in the spirit, what it does, it quiets the mind. And we know biblically that it says that it builds us up in our most holy faith. It also helps our weaknesses and gives us the things we need to pray for because we don't know what to pray for. The spirit also makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, which does what? opens up things to see in the spirit. Now, this is the funny part about this. It says that when the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, a lot of times we just go past words. What does uttered mean? I want to give you an example. I like to give examples so you can have a connecting piece to it so you have a better understanding. Now, say you made a counterfeit $100 bill. And you give that bill to a convenience store clerk in exchange for some groceries. That actually would be uttering. Now, it's like, how is that uttering? Because... You knew it was counterfeit, but you didn't express it with words to the cashier. So if the spirit makes groans which cannot be uttered, it means it knows the truth about the prayer being prayed, but you don't because of speaking mysteries. And the last one, number eight, being in the company of others who can see will activate your sight just by being in the company of another person. I've literally, I told you, I've had this happen to me through my own son, Javon. Uh, Wake up. And he, he, has a my same gifts, but his his measure is way more than mine. But I remember I was telling you that he, you know, my brother had called and stuff, and he never met him and stuff. And so just through hearing his voice, he knew something particular that I personally couldn't share with him, but he knew it just by listening to his voice. And I began to desire that. I said, how does he do that? I want to do that. I did. I said, I want to do that. 
And I, t- I kid you not, probably not within weeks, I was able to do it because I desired the gift. And it was when that pastor showed up, just out of the blue, and he was looking to expand his um, church and felt, look, I don't need to plant a church here. And my husband was speaking to him, and I didn't even know he was apostle. He was just talking to him on the phone. And I told my husband, I said, put the phone on mute. Put the phone on mute. And I asked you a question. <laughs> I said, is he an apostle? He was like, I don't know. I'm just my first time talking to him. He continued to talk, and this when he told my husband, you know, I'm an apostle and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, it kicked on. <laughs> that gift kicked on. So you can be in the company of others who can see, and it'll it'll come upon you too. And we'll see. And I want to actually show an example of this, and the, this is the last example that I have for you. And then we're going to go through the impartation service. So the example that I have for you is when Samuel prophesied that Saul would prophesy with the prophets the company of prophets that he would encounter. And not only would he prophesy, but he literally would turn into a different person. And so we're going to read 1 Samuel 10 and 6. And then after that, we're going to read 1 Samuel 10, 10 through 11. 1 Samuel 10 and 6, it says, At that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. Now, this is Samuel prophesying to Saul. At that time, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them, meaning the other company of prophets. You will be changed into a different person. Then shortly thereafter, Samuel's words are literally fulfilled. And we see it fulfilled in 1 Samuel 10, 10 through 11. It says, when Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, they saw a group of prophets coming toward them. Then the spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul and he too, meaning also, began to prophesy. When those who knew Saul heard about it, They exclaim, what is even Saul a prophet? How did the son of Kish become a prophet? By being in the company of prophets. So it fell upon him too. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead, Apostle. I'm going to have everybody stand up.